This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. I'm so glad you could be here for the launch of the No BS Spiritual Book Club's face-to-face with video series. And I'm especially delighted that Lee Harris is going to be our very first guest to share the stories behind the books that influenced him the most on his spiritual journey. As I mentioned in my newsletter, I've known Lee for around 13, 14 years now, during which time I've watched his star and his renowned rocket to the point where he's not only a best-selling author, but a highly respected and much in-demand spiritual guide channel and speaker with a huge worldwide audience. And you know what? Whether on stage or off, despite all the acclaim and the success, he's still the same, principled, authentic, down-to-earth, genuinely kind, balanced guy he was when I first met him. And believe me, having been around the spiritual arena as long as I have, those qualities are not always easy to maintain. And if you haven't viewed Lee's monthly energy updates, I highly recommend them. We'll give some details about his work, his book, and his latest offerings later. Um, But for now, I just want to give you a very brief overview of how this event is going to play out. First, Zoom has issued a notice saying that owing to a huge increase in usage right now for obvious reasons, we may experience intermittent availability of HD video during meetings with three or more participants, whatever that means. So if we should experience any glitches or freezes, bear with us. We hope it will clear quickly. If it happens often enough to spoil your experience, we'll keep going and post an edited copy of the interview for you after. And in the meantime, let's all set the intention that we'll have a glitch-free experience. So just a little brief intro on Lee. He's an intuitive medium, a transformational leader, musician, visual artist, and he's been sharing his channelings, messages and tools and guidance for daily living through multiple venues, including his million plus viewed monthly energy updates on YouTube, numerous insightful healing audio and video recordings, and his acclaimed energy mastery retreats and events and of course his book energy speaks so i'm just going to get straight to it now lee welcome thanks for joining us today um before we start digging into your 10 best lists tell us what was the process like for you compiling it (laughs) awful it was awful i you know so firstly thank you for having me i didn't realize this is the kickoff one so that's very exciting oh you're our premiere right well and 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 because i was there when you conceived of this club 
it's exciting because you know this was this has been a while in the making so congratulations and it's great um, but it was awful Sandy and you said oh would you do? and I was like oh I'd love to thanks and it's it's one of the things I've procrastinated about the most in the last like four months I found it really difficult actually to whittle them down is that because there are so many great books that were influential you know, it was two things, and this it, the process made me realize something, that I don't read spiritual books very much anymore. And I think there was a period in my life where, where I was really awakening between the ages of about 17 and 27, 28. Um, so, you know, it's been 15 years. I, I struggled to find many ones from the last decade or so. I found one, I think. Um, so it was also having to try and recall those books. Like there are certain books I could, I didn't include that I didn't really remember the details of, but I knew that they had an effect on me. So that was interesting too. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, you gave me way more complicated homework than I realized when I said <laughs> yes. So congratulations, Sandy, you're, you're always good at stretching us. You know, it's interesting because many people have said to me, do you know, I kind of have stopped reading books. Um, I haven't because it's my job. So I'm constantly reading books. Um, but I understand why other people have stopped reading them. It's why we started the book club, because there's so much competition out there and so many books, you know, bless the hearts. The, the authors are, you know, very earnest and genuine, I'm sure. And well, you know, when you've got classic stuff, mm. you know, you keep, it's the best stuff in the world. So people keep regurgitating it. And that's not a bad thing, but it depends how they regurgitate. And I have to give you a little plug here for Energy Speaks, which was my second bookworm. The, one of the reasons I loved that so much is because it was simple. It was practical. It was down to earth. It just, you know, it was for our lives living, you know, we may be spiritual beings but we are having this physical experience and so we need to know how to navigate this world as well as the other one and your book was just you know it just nailed it for me so congratulations well, thank you. on that Com coming from you that was amazing so thank you and we did try you know we worked hard on the editing to try and do exactly that to try and ground mm -hmm. what was mostly channeled material so that it was usable so thank you so let's let's go into your 10 best and I know that these are in no particular order but as I've been looking at them today I have been putting in the dates that they were published which was very interesting um your first one um and I'd be interested to know how many people have read this it was a big one for me out on a limb by Shirley MacLaine when did you read that book I must have been 19 so 24 years ago and how, what kind of impact did it have on you? Where were you at at that point? Mm, I was just beginning to figure out that, that I was intuitive, but I would never have said that about myself. I had a couple of intuitive friends um, who I had, you know, how these things happen, they get put in your path. And one of them called me an empath and one of them called me an intuitive. And I think in both cases, I fought them. And I kind of denied it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. but I was early. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really understand what those things were and I didn't understand I was those things. So I, I, I think, I think Amanda may have given me out on a limb. I loved movies and still to this day, movies are very meaningful to me when, when I get a good one. 
the framework of storytelling through movies with the music and the visual and the feelings involved can be very powerful for me. So Shirley was very loved uh, because of Terms of Endearment for me and because of Steel Magnolias and because of Postcards from the Edge. So I'd seen her, you know, later body of work really uh, growing up. So the fact that this woman who I had this connection to through the screen went off on this seemingly crazy journey to anybody who would have issue with what she went through. But to me, as I was reading it all, it all just felt so normal and so true. And I almost put the Camino on my list too, because I think I've read probably six of her books, but the Camino was a big favorite too. Um, I just loved that book, but I chose Out on a Limb because it's a little bit of a greatest hits of metaphysics. You know, she covers so much and she meets a channeler in the book. And I had no idea that I would become a channeler. And to be honest, I wasn't that fussed about channelers. It wasn't like, you know, you think you think you end up doing things that you have a passion for. Normally, that's how my life had gone so far. Um, but the fact that she met this channeler, I think, was the first normalizing experience around channeling that I had had at that time. So when I look back, that book's pivotal for that reason, as well as the fact that she she just kind of introduced me and so many of us into a world that otherwise had been hidden and hadn't been so mainstream. So I really salute her for that. That was her third book, 1983. And my God, she did go out on a limb. And I remember... Back then, some of the talk shows that she was on, and she, I mean, they just ridiculed her. I don't know how she kept her dignity and grace, because, you know, I would have wanted to slap them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's an amazing woman, amazing. And, yeah, it, it's, I think it's, it's, it's got to be a seminal piece of work. It really is. And it's funny you say that about the talk shows, because we're both from the UK and Wogan, which was this huge show in the UK. If you're if you're in America, you know, think of the Johnny Carson show and you have the equivalent of what, 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 what Wogan was in the 80s. And I remember David Icke being ridiculed on that show. Um, and, mm. you know, Wogan many years later said he deeply regretted it, that he shamed him. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see how busy and popular David Icke is right now with everything that's going on in our world. And yeah. so, yeah, and I actually, where I live now in Malibu, I bumped into Shirley. I mean, I've bumped into her a few times, but I bumped into her in the grocery store and I got to, you know, normally I wouldn't bother anybody like that, but I, I just got to thank her. I just said, hey, thank you so much for your books. I said, I ended up being a channeler and I just want to say thank you. And it was ah. really sweet. We were both there in one of the aisles, you know, it was, it was weird, but it was also really nice. It was nice to be able to have that moment to, to just thank her for what she did for me and, you know, so many of us. Well, I'm glad you did that because I bumped into her in Malibu. Um, we were sitting in the same restaurant at neighboring tables and I really wanted to go up to her and say thank you you know you did us all a great service and I just really don't like you know imposing on people and in the end I didn't and afterwards I thought you know what you should have done so I'm glad you did it for us well and I get it because I'd seen her out for dinner with a friend before that and I didn't because I'm always conscious when someone's with someone but it was I actually 
made myself go back and just say it. And I was, I'd just come from the gym. I was in shorts and a vest. She did look me up and down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is a bit weird, but she was great. And she actually, she actually, she lit up when I thanked her. So I kind of, I, having, having been on the other side of that, you know, it's often really lovely when people yes. come and thank you. And I could tell she was, you know, she was, she was okay with it. So that was good. Yeah, well, I'm glad you were braver than me. So let's move on to number two. And, you know, this has come up a few times, more than a few times on the, in people's 10 best lists and for obvious reasons, the four agreements, Mm. a practical guide to personal freedom by Don Miguel Ruiz. So the thing that is perhaps most satisfying to me about this book is that when I got it, it had literally just come out. I was about 23, so 20 years ago. And I don't know how it came to me, but it's the only book I've ever gifted probably more than 10 times to people. And I think I immediately went back um, and bought like four copies to give to four of my friends, because to me, it's a manifesto for life. And still, um, I caught myself the other day not being very impeccable with my word. <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone and I, 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 a, a certain person came up in conversation and, and this person expressed their dislike of this person. And I kind of agreed with them on some of the things they were saying. And then I walked away and I thought, oh, wasn't very impeccable with my word there. So it's, it still teaches me, it still moves through me. I still think it's an amazing manifesto for living. And, um, and it's challenging too, to, to live that way all of the time. So it's still teaching me 20 years later. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful to Don Miguel Ruiz for writing that book because it, you know, you earlier mentioned my book being simple. Oh, my God, that book's so artfully simple. And to write a book that has that level of substance and that incredible level of simplicity is really hard and really rare. And so to me, that book is just divine. You know, I think if you distill it all down, it should be simple. And there are very few rules to live by, universal rules, I think. And here's, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. This isn't just spiritual wisdom. This is, this is what we should teach our kids, you know, mm. from day one. It's true. It's true. And it, The Mastery of Love was a beautiful book too. The, the, I think that was the direct follow-up. I think I have three of his. But yeah, so seeing that book now top the charts over and over again is just testament mm. because at the time no one had heard of it. Yeah. And I mean, even that first few years, it, you know, it was out there, but it wasn't really consumed. So I always get like a big smile on my face when I see him at the top of the Amazon charts. I see, you know, in Barnes and Noble, if you're looking at that, that book section, there are loads of copies of it. It's considered a top seller. I think that's really important because I think what he, what he did and whatever divine was working through him for that book we needed that book and it's it's one of to me the um the bibles of our time if you like where spiritual living is concerned and how to live um in a way that brings more div- divinity through you mm, for sure so number three this is another classic um you can heal your life by louise hay 
published in 1984. And that was her second book after Heal Your Body. And I don't know anybody who hasn't read that book, mm. whether they're in the spiritual arena or not. Mm -hmm. Everybody seems to know about that one. So I have a confession to make about that book. I have probably read a third of the chapters. <laughs> That's all. I never finished reading, but I probably used that energy dictionary multiple times a week for, oh God, years and years and years and years. And so as someone who was learning about energy, health, intuition, feeling, it was one of my teachers. And I haven't looked at that book for years, but I got so used to seeing things the way that Louise was teaching us to see them. And I, I'm, you know, I have no doubt that it, uh, that it highly affected who I then became and, and the work that I do in the world. So for me, it was actually the energy dictionary that, that, was, that was the part of that book that was just fantastic for me. So were you um, introduced to that book and were you actually using that dictionary in your own life before you really developed, you know, the size of audience that you've got? For sure. I mean, I didn't start. So my, my, I would say, cause you know, we're always a student. Um, but I, I was not a teacher, uh, and I, I, you know, even that word is strange. You know, I think we all teach at different moments of our life. We're, we're teaching our friend something one minute and then we're in the position of teacher if that's something we're doing for work in that moment. But I, I think it was uh, 2004 that I started to do readings for people. And then 2006, I started putting things on YouTube. So I would have picked up You Can Heal Your Life in about 1999. So I would have had it for about five years before I, um, in fact, it may have even been earlier than that. I would have had it for a good six, seven years. So it was very much my period where I was studying books. I was going to workshops. Spirituality was the joy of my life, but it was a hobby. And I thought that I, you know, went and did these jobs I was doing um, so that I could pay for the workshops I, I was going to. I hadn't put the pieces together that the reason I loved it so much was ultimately going to be that it would become my job. Um, yeah, so, so um, no, it was earlier. What jobs were you doing? Well, you know, my dream, and this relates to one of the books we're going to talk about later, was, the, was going into music. I had been, I'd grown up in theatre. Theatre was my escape. And as a kid who was very sensitive, but didn't really understand that, um, I had a very strange sense of self-identity. I didn't really, when I look back now, I didn't really have a very strong sense of self-identity, but I knew I was a creator. Like I created from the, the minute I arrived here and that was something that was open in me. Um, and if I went into the theater and became a character in another story, that was something I could run through my body shamanically. Um, and I didn't understand the shamanic nature of acting when I was a kid, but now I look back and I'm like, oh, it's channeling. You're channeling someone else. You're... So for me, that was what I was groomed to do. And I went to drama school and my parents and all my family and my friends thought that's what I would do. Came out top of my year and then left. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I want to do music because while at drama school, I had started hearing music, literally channeling music. And to me, this was heaven. I was like, this is unbelievable. 
So I was doing side jobs while I tried to get my music career going and try and break into the music industry. So it was everything from working in a pub to helping my friend with her admin business. I took occasional acting jobs to pay the bills, but you know, my, my heart was no, my, my heart was in the job when I did the job, but my heart was no longer in that as a career. It's so interesting because I mean, you said you were a very sensitive child. Um, and is that why your parents put you into acting to just, you know, bring you out of yourself a little bit? Yeah, I think I, you know, I, I think it, it, I, when I look back now, I had a talent. Now I get it. Like if I look back in, before I was 10, I would, I would be like taking school plays way too seriously. <laughs> like, you know, everyone else was, oh, I'm in the school play. I don't want to do this. I just loved it. Like to me, it was, it was a place that I could be alive and expressed. And I was struggling with that in my personal life. Um, you know, I developed an eating disorder very young. I was taken to Weight Watchers age 10. I then was up and down with my weight all through my teens. I knew I was gay and I was scared about how that was going to impact my life. So there was a lot of inner torture. And in, in acting, there was the ability to freely express myself as a person in a way that I was not feeling in my life. So that was why... Yeah. And the yeah. gift of the drama school I went to was it was incredibly holistic. So the things that really interested me about drama school were things like learning five rhythms, ecstatic dance. They, they, they gave us classes of that. Um, we did mask work. We looked at psychology. So I actually see drama school as my spiritual opening and it took me off somewhere else. And I met some of these intuitive friends who gave me these books and and music happened for me there. So I opened at drama school, but not in the way I was supposed to. Uh, I opened to something else. So music was the first thing that you were channeling? It, it really was. And it was a year later I heard the voice of my guide. So I, I see them as deeply connected. Mm, yeah. So now we've got um, the five love languages, the secret to love that lasts mm. also published with a different subtitle, which was How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. I love that book. Isn't it amazing? When I found that book, I thought, this, this is so cool. Explain so much. Tell us what it did for you. Well, this is one of the recent books. So I only discovered this book about three or four years ago. Um, maybe it was four years ago, because I think I just met my now husband, Stephen, at the time. And I just thought it was brilliant. I was like, this is so good. Why did I not find this before? It would have saved me a lot of headaches in earlier relationships where I didn't understand myself or them or the dynamic between us. Um, it just gives you a great framework of understanding how you show love and identifying some of the ways you show love and some of your patterns. But it also helps you understand how you respond to love that's shown to you. So for example, the book breaks down the five different areas. And one thing I learned early on is one of my love languages is gifts to, to show to people. Mm. Like I love giving gifts to people. Like that's just one of my things. And that didn't really interest Stephen when I first met him. <laughs> so I would like be giving him these things. And it, it didn't, he didn't really, oh, whatever, you know, it just went over his head. And so it really helped me understand, oh, no, he doesn't need that. That's, 
So I, I got to see my own pattern and also try and understand what he needed and to, for us to work that together as a relationship. So I think the book is fantastic at not only giving you those five areas, but it also addresses you know, our wounds and our programming and why we end up with some of those gifts and how we can expand them. And for me, what it did was it helped me see a certain level and then I could start to evolve certain things. So yeah. again, just a brilliant book. Well, it gave me um, a lot of understanding in hindsight about relationships that I'd been involved in and how I was interpreting someone else's behavior. And it's the old, old story, you know. We think everybody thinks the same as we do, and yeah, they don't. That's the truth. No. Yeah. And, you know, what I loved about that book is the thing that I took away from it was we don't, when we're in a relationship, we meet someone new, even if it's an old relationship, we do not tell the other person how we know when we're being loved. You know, we don't say that when you do this, I feel loved. Mm. So we're never giving our partners any clues of what our love language is. Mm. So, you know, they're just doing what they feel they know they like. And, yeah. you know, and we're missing one another. So, yeah, I think it's, 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 I'm glad you put that on your list because you know, it's kind of got lost in the pantheon of books that I've had to read over the years, but it is a really important one for me too. Well, it's another one I keep seeing on the bestseller lists. So that's great. You know, Classic. it's one that's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's really up there. So it's, again, it's a bit like the four agreements. It's an incredibly useful tool that we need. So I'm glad to see it doing so well. Yeah. And a very you know, human, down-to-earth, practical. You don't have to be spiritual or anything to, no. to get that book and what it's going to do for you in your life. Yeah. yeah. And also, we're sold such a story about romance. You know, if you look at traditional programmed knowledge about romance and, you know, the kind of commerce around it, and it's so basic, you know, it's like uh, everyone's doomed to fail if they believe mm -hmm. The, uh, the kind of the, the rhetoric around romance that is programmed into our culture. So yeah. we have to evolve that. And so this is a book that gives you a key for that, which is great. Mm. So number five. Now, this was an interesting one when I started having a look at it because uh, I don't think that it's um, so easily available now. It was published in 1989 and it's called A Guide for the Advanced Soul. A Book of Insight by Susan Haywood. Yeah, so I actually, I have it right here because I just ordered a new one from Amazon and I was really struck by how small it is because, you yeah. know, I'll show you, the copy I had in the UK was bigger than this. And this was gifted to me. Um, and I then gifted this to several people um, because I just thought it was brilliant. And I gave it to my mom and my sister and people in my life who weren't necessarily overtly spiritual. But Basically, what it says here is hold a problem in your mind, open this book to any page, your answer will be there. So, for example, we'll just open a page now. Ah, hang on, before you do, what's, oh, your, okay. what's your question? Oh, okay, good point. Uh, what's my question? Um, my question is what's going on in the world right now with all of this quarantine stuff what's 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 the deeper what's the deeper purpose here okay every issue belief 
attitude or assumption is precisely the issue that stands between you and your relationship to another human being and between you and yourself. Gita Bellin. Now, maybe that was a hard question to ask. There's a lot in the current situation, but I'll tell you why I loved this book um, and why I used it a lot in my early 20s, so like 20 years ago. Um, it's divination. And for me, not, not too unlike um, you can heal your life, it was something I could use. And essentially, it was a tool for divination and for positive inspiration. And I think now with the internet, we have a lot of inspiration available to us. But we're talking about 25 years ago when still it was a bookshop or a magazine. And that was really all we had available. So for me, being able to just pick this up and open, open the page, it wasn't always that the book will correctly answer your question because these quotes are from people like Pythagoras, Walt Whitman, um, you know, Martin Luther King, but they're very human inspirational quotes. And so it kind of reconnected you to your higher self if you just opened one of these pages. And that was really what it did for me. And it, I used it a lot for several years. And then there came a point when I didn't use it anymore. But it was, again, training me around connecting to the higher self, connecting to the higher energy. That's a good description because, you know, I would have said, yeah, it, it kind of stretches your mind and gives you other perspectives to think around something, and which is the same thing, really, as what you said. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was an interesting book to choose because, you know, this was one of the hardest books to put on the list because my rational mind went, well, there are, there are other books out there that are really good books. But, but when I thought about it as, no, I, you know, I've got to be honest about what are the 10 books that I would say today have shaped me um, because of the divination aspect and because of the way I used this book, it was very key. Um, and it, yeah, there's just something very sweet about it. So, yeah. Good. So the next one is The Man Who Planted Trees by Jean Giono. And mm. that's not to be confused with another book called The Man Who Planted Trees, A Story of Lost Groves, The Science of Trees and A Plan to Save the Planet by Jim Robbins. Yours was the original one. So yeah. um, tell us why this book impacted you so much, because I read that it is a book for children from the age of eight to 80. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's a parable. And it was gifted to me by my dear friend, Amanda, who's been like, you know, was, was, was the sponsor that I mentioned earlier of my intuition when I was 19, when I met her, she was older than me at the time. And she, she was, she was put in place to be a mentor to me. I now see. Um, she gave me a beautiful copy of it as a Christmas present. And it was illustrated with woodcut illustrations, wow. which just was gorgeous. And um, the thing about the book that really struck me is this man has this love affair with nature, this beautiful, beautiful grove that he experiences. And when he visits it many years later, he realizes that there are less trees around. So he makes, he commits his life to every decade planting a certain amount of trees. And four decades later, he has just steadily, quietly planted all of these trees. And it has created such an energy field. 
and has created such a sense of wonder that people start to move to that area because of the trees. And on his deathbed, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's visited by somebody who asks him why he did it and why he never told anybody he was doing it. Because there are all kinds of beliefs circulate. Like some people say, oh, the forest miraculously grew itself. And it didn't. It, it was this man's labor and this man's work and this man's mission. And for me, trees were one of the first ways I heard. Uh, before I heard the voice of my guides, I could talk to trees. Like I, and this didn't happen until I was about 21. Um, I could put my hand on a tree and have a conversation with it and it would tell me things. Um, and, you know, still that could happen. I don't do it as much anymore, but there's something about trees that are such guardians. Um, when I was deciding who we wanted to give charitable donations to every, every month through my company, um, we give a percentage of the profits every month to five different charities. Um, Tree Sisters was one of the ones I chose because they're doing incredible work with reforestation. And in, in my mind, I always thought if ever I got to the point that, um, that I generated more revenue than we needed and I had my own you know, charity or foundation, I will follow the man who planted trees. So it's there because it deeply affected me but it also is a bit of a mission statement for me, that book. Um, I'm not dead yet, so who knows? Maybe that will be something that I put more energy towards in the years to come, we'll see. But it always, the beauty of somebody working tirelessly and quietly uh, to create this incredible effect in an area that so many people get joy from, there's just something about that that's just, even now as I say that, I'm getting like tingles, so... Do you um, do you see yourself as like him? Um, you know, if you had Maybe. this love of trees and could speak to trees. Maybe, I guess. I mean, the only difference for me is, I guess the only difference for me is if, if you know, if the trees I'm planting are helping people understand energy and transform things, then I'm a bit more visible. Um, but I also do have a healthy disassociation with that aspect of it. You know, I don't, I don't think about myself on camera or myself on audio. For me, what I think about is somebody who says, oh, thank you, that audio helped me get through depression. That video, I'm like, okay, that makes me happy. Like, oh, good. You know, my mom taught me at an early age to be useful. And so what lights me up is if the work is useful, that, that makes me very happy. So I guess I relate to him in that way. Um, yeah. Good. So number seven, um, this is an interesting one and, and such a, such a sad story behind it. The diving bell and the butterfly oh. by Jean Dominique Bo Barbie, I think he's called. Yeah. What Boy. a story. My and that God. was a movie, of course. Yes. And I saw the movie many years after I, I think, I don't know when the book came out, but I feel like I read it in the early 2000s mm. and the movie was 2007, I believe. Um, so, you know, this book is about, he was the editor of French Vogue, if I'm not mistaken. L, 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 L thank you. L yeah. magazine. Mm. Um, and he suffers a massive stroke and comes down with something called locked in syndrome where he's still thinking very clearly. Um, and he still has feelings, 
but he can only move um, one eyelid. So he dictates this whole book um, by working with someone. He works out a system by which he can dictate letters using different eyelid um, movements and basically describes how he's feeling through this book and what he experiences. And it's just, you, first of all, you can't quite believe it. it. It's a very sobering reminder that we just never know what's about to happen to us because he was this successful man with a wife and children and, you know, his, his life was good. And all of a sudden this happens to him and everything goes 360. So there was something very meaningful to me about him reminding us all of that. But then also it's heartbreaking the way he's describing how people are reacting to him. Like he'll say things like, my wife was here earlier and I could see that she was in pain and she was frustrated at me, but he couldn't say anything to her. So I don't know, I'd never read a book like it and it gave me a complete 360 on the way I saw life and the way, I don't think I took life for granted at that point because I, I, one of my, the things I live by is you just never know what, what tomorrow's gonna bring. And I try and remember that and I try and live that way when I forget um, because I think it makes me very present and it makes me grateful. Um, but there was something about both him losing that, but equally having this extraordinary inner life. And it's rare that the inner life gets separated from the outer life in our humanity. So suddenly we have yeah. this man having this monk-like existence in a way, um, but still interacting with the world and talking about what he's seeing with the doctors and the nurses and what they have no idea that he is thinking, feeling, or responding to. Just mind-blowing. It is. I mean, talk about isolation. You know, we're all having a tiny, tiny taste of it. Mm -hmm. We think it's huge, but that, mm -hmm. that's isolation right there where you, yeah. you know, you just can't communicate your feelings. Yeah. That was published in 1997. And I don't know okay. whether you're aware, but he died two days after the book was published. I did know that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I may have had a slightly later edition that, that gave me that information. I think I read it in the early 2000s, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, which gives you another kind of layer to that story. You know, was this what kept him going hmm. to be able to transmit this story? And once it was done, you know, he can leave. Well, and that makes me think of David Bowie's Black Star album, which was an extraordinary album all about his basically you know the end of his life and even mm. the videos that he put out or the video for the first song the first single he's really showing himself as a as a man dealing with illness and he died i think the day or two days after it came out and went to the top, yeah. top of the charts and i was like wow that's yeah. uh yeah yeah i mean if people don't believe in missions you mm. know when you hear stories like those two you think yeah well there was a mission for sure yeah yeah yeah. So number eight, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. What did you love about that book? Well, it was, I think like many people, and of course, like anyone, she can be divisive. I mean, you know, I think anybody who is liked and loved by people, there are always going to be detractors. And I think sometimes popularity annoys people too. So they like her even less if they don't like her. But like many people, I fell in love with her through that book. 
Um, and then she became a really important force for me on Facebook in the early years before Facebook got all knotted up in corporate and algorithms. And, you know, when she would share freely on her Facebook page and, and it was amazing. But Eat, Pray, Love was very significant for me. I had, I was about a year out of a very painful, difficult, unexpected relationship ending. I think the relationship I thought I would be in all my life, at least that's how I was approaching it. And so reading that book a year later was incredibly healing because she is, she's, you know, on the back of a painful divorce, she goes off to find herself. So she goes to India, she goes to Italy and she goes to Bali. And so it was something wonderful about this woman who in deep pain goes off on this journey of discovery. It was like, you got to be a visitor to that. It, you know, you got to live that fantasy through her eyes. She speaks so warm. She writes so warmly and she, you really feel like you're with her. And at that time, this was still early in the internet blog world where I think we're a bit more used to that now, but that level of honest memoir, we hadn't really seen, you know, warts and all. Mm. Um, but I, the one thing that I remember from that book that changed my life around relationships, she has a realization either through a therapist or herself, I can't remember, that she had been dating the highest potential of the men she was dating rather than their actual behaviors. Meaning, Oh. She would see the best in them. She would think, oh, they'll come through this. They'll transform. Oh, and oh my God, that, that was a smack in the face for me that I needed because it suddenly made me see an aspect of my own behavior around that. And I remember being in a very emotionally volatile, a kind of emotionally and verbally abusive relationship in my early 20s, which only got physically abusive once right at the end. But I remember two of my friends saying to me, we were talking about you the other day and how you're speaking about your boyfriend. And we were saying, wow, imagine if Lee was in a good relationship, meaning I was talking my way around all the problems and I was seeing it from, well, he had a bad childhood and da da da. You know, I was, this was 20 years ago. And when they said that, I was like, what do they mean? You know, I kind of, but this was the gift of Eat, Pray, Love for me. It was realizing just in the same way I wouldn't want someone to date my highest potential. You know, I would want someone to date who I'm showing up as that day and to make sure that who I'm showing up as is, is what they need and compatible for them. Um, it, it changed. It was a game changer for me around relationships. So not only did she help me overcome a very painful, difficult breakup through sharing her journey. She gave me a clue for the future, which was don't date people's highest potential, date what they're showing up as uh, most of the time. And sure, their highest potential might manifest, but don't put off your happiness in a relationship because you're waiting for someone to turn into something they may never. Wow, that's great advice. Okay, number nine, another favorite of mine, dying to be me. Yeah. Anita Majani. What a lovely, lovely lady she is. The, the funny thing about this is I read this book when it came out and a friend of mine had just been with Anita at an event um, and said, oh, she was great. She gave this talk. Here's her book. I loved this book. It's all about how Anita really, according to the medical system, should have died. You know, that she 
her cancer was so progressed, there was no way she shouldn't have died according to all the facts in the medical field and what her body was showing. Anita has a near-death experience where she's shown she needs to come back and she's going to come back to life. And I can't remember, I'd have to go back and look at the book, but within days or within weeks, all of the cancer in her body shrinks and just disappears. And Mm. none of the medical field can believe it. But the lesson for Anita was she has to love herself now. She has to come back and not put herself second because she had seen where she was doing that in a lot of her work situations, family programming. And um, the thing that, you know, it was just such a profound book to read, so beautifully written. And unbeknownst to me, in the last couple of years, Anita and Danny have become friends, which is lovely. Um, And they're just wonderful people. And um, yeah, so it's that there was a funny that was that was a funny thing I didn't expect when I read the book. Um, But the book's extraordinary. It is. And I read the book, I don't know, six or seven years ago, and I interviewed Anita then. And she just, I think, moved to America. And um, one of the things that I took away from that book was, you know, how adamant she was that we have nothing, nothing to fear. Mm. And she said, you know, fear is, is, is the cancer, if you like. Mm. Fear is the thing that, um, you know, gives us so much pain. And if we only knew that we had nothing to fear, our lives would be so much richer. And I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying with the diving bell and the butterfly and my way of living that I constantly remind myself, or if I notice I've forgotten, I remind myself, we could be gone tomorrow because the Z's, my guides have told me that for years. And I've Mm. had several direct experiences recently where I've, especially last, um, late last year, I was with someone who died very suddenly with no warning. And um, there were a group of us there. And it was very, it was sobering in two ways because there was so much light around his death. And I tried talking to his soul when he was above his body going, come back down, get back in your body. You know, (laughs) we were giving him, the group were giving him CPR, Reiki. There were people singing and praying around him. He wouldn't come back and his soul was so happy. His soul was this kind of orange aura above his body. He was like, it's amazing. It's beautiful here. He would not come back in his body for, for love or money. And it was great for me when I walked away from that and ingrained the teaching of that because we were all heartbroken that he'd gone. But at the same time, it was a reminder to me that, yeah, the fear in the density on the earth plane is fear that exists on the earth plane that we adopt and we wear as clothing, as thoughts, as feelings. And actually, if you can stay connected and you realize it's, it's great, dying is not a problem, it's being left behind when someone you love or are attached to dies. That's where the pain comes in. But actually dying for us, not a problem. When we remember that, a lot of our fears go away. But when we forget that and we only see this 3D reality as all there is, we get very locked into it. Mm, true, very true. Okay, the book I've left till last, you know what it is. Um, yes. Nobody else does. And it's quite different from everything that's gone before. And the reason I left it till last, A, because it's one of your big loves. It, you know, it's a, 
it's part of who you are and B because you switched this one out at the last minute you had it on your list but it you weren't sure whether it was going to make the top 10 and then you changed your mind and the book is Peace by Peace by Tori Amos so tell us why you changed your mind and what this book means to you I had The Alchemist as number 10, which I think is a spiritual classic. But mm -hmm. truth be told, that was my mind. My heart and my body was more impacted by the two books that I told you last night. I said it's going to be one of these two. And it was Tori Amos, Piece by Piece. And it was Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking, which I read just a few years ago. And I went with Tori for two reasons. So she wrote this book with music journalist Anne Powers, who's a bit of a legend in the music journalism field. And it came out in 2004. And the reason I chose this book is Tori Amos was, a, was the integral musician for me um, during my awakening between the years of, you know, 1996. And I would say 2004 when I started doing this work as work. Um, she really was the spiritual musician and she was the only musician I'd ever heard who spoke about music shamanically and as a form of channeling. So this book, I chose it for two reasons. Number one, she really dives into her process of songwriting and talks about the archetypes that would she would experience as she was writing a song. So she would, there'd be this song that we're all moved by as her fan. And she would say, yep, one night I was in the cabin and this, this African-American woman walked through the door and it's a spirit, it's an apparition. And she's seeing this woman and this woman started telling me this story. So she would say, explain how she works with the spirit world to create this music, which is just really extraordinary. But the other side of the book is her sharing life on the road and life on tour and I had an idealized idea of what it would be to be a singer songwriter. I thought, wow, wouldn't that be the best career? You just get to make music and you make albums and then you go around the world and you give concerts. And what I was projecting was that the experience of doing that would be how it felt to me as the receiver of that. So I could sit and watch her in concert and be like glowy about her in concert. And then I assumed that's also her experience. And to be fair, she does say that the concerts are like the highlight of her music career. But what I learned through that book was the hell she was going through with the record industry. The record industry that I had been beating the door down trying to break into and luckily for me couldn't. So it was also an awakening around my fantasy idea of what it's like to be a working musician. It didn't it didn't um, save you from any struggles, not at all. They were there too. So I think in a way that book was also pivotal to me surrendering this determination I had to go into the music industry, which left me open to go into working in the metaphysical and transformational fields and to let go of my determination in one area so that ironically, I could go into this other field that I would never have pursued, never thought would I would go into it became very successful very quickly without me putting any effort into it really, apart from you know doing the job well, which I would have done anyway. But it gave me all the same things I wanted, using my voice, creating, giving people healing experiences, going around the world and meeting groups of people, having 
a career that I was able to really use my full self in. So the irony being that that book in a way freed me, I think. Well, it's interesting because you, you are producing music. And of so course now the music's back. Yeah, I know. That's the funny thing. It is back. That's true. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, it's, you know, you got it in the end, so that's fantastic. But you got it at the time when you could see it for what it is and enjoy the process rather than having to force it. So true. And doing it autonomously without being enslaved to a record company, doing it, producing it myself and, and producing it the way we produce it, which is how we want to, that has a more spiritual energy to it. So, yeah. Well, one, one question I have about this particular book, she says that she chooses to fight her battles through her music. Mm. I'm not quite sure what she means by that, but that, does that phrase mean anything to you? Well, you know, she, she, if you know the lyrics of certain songs and you read this book, you're like, oh my God, that was about the battle with the record industry. It sounds like an ex-boyfriend, <laughs> but actually what she's doing is she's talking about the war right. she had to go to. Um, yeah. And, and for me, I think I used to fight my battles through the songs I wrote in my early songwriting days. Now, mm, some of it's personal. There are some songs where certain personal elements in, but I think I come from a, a more universal and channeled standpoint with the way I write lyrics these days. So, mm. Well, your 10 best list, we are going to publish that later this week on the website. So it'll be there in the archive. Um, I ask all of our 10 best contributors to give us between three and six neons or short phrases that they feel best describe them as an individual. You know, the sort of thing you might be asked to complete for a match.com profile. And the obvious ones for you are author, artist, channel, musician, you know, energy, intuitive. Um, but can you give us one or two additional words or phrases that give us a deeper and perhaps lighter insight into the man behind the bio. I mean, some of my favorites so far have been words like lover of wine, <laughs> risk taker, right. edge walker, right. cupcake connoisseur, yeah. friend of the fairies. So what would you choose for yourself? Relentless creator. Relentless creator. Because I am pretty relentless. You know, it's like that, that mojo doesn't, that flame doesn't go out very often. Um, Intense, sensitive. Mm -hmm. Lover of people. That's a nice I do, one. I do really love people. Uh, yeah, sometimes people, certain people can annoy me sometimes, but generally I love people. Um, and I would say somewhere between the earth and the sky, which is a song lyric. That, w that, that we have, because I, I feel like that's where I live, somewhere between the earth and the sky. Okay, so well, that's an interesting one for me to try and turn into something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've stretched me there. I'll work on that one. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, now my final question about, before we open it to um, our viewers' questions for you, is if you had to... If you were being asked to give uh, one book to maybe someone starting out on a path 
or having a difficult time on this spiritual journey mm. out of your list and maybe not out of your list or agreements the four agreements four agreements is the one i would give with confidence mm. um it would depend on the person obviously because depending on their thing i would probably curate what i gave them but if if this was a blind test where it was 10 people i didn't know i didn't know what they were struggling with i'd just give them all the four agreements myself yeah I think that's a good choice. So, okay, Lee, we're going to open it now so that other people can ask you their questions. Great. Sharon, if you can um, let me know. All, I, all we need you to do is to post your question into the chat window and um, Sharon will pass it on to me and then I'll ask Lee that question for you. We're not actually looking for questions that are personal. Lee is not here to do any um, counselling or channeling for anyone, but it could be a question about what is happening in the world, his opinion on something, or about his choices that we've been listening to tonight. So go for it. Don't be shy. And also that, that you would put your name and where you're from, please. Thanks for that reminder, Sharon. <laughs> so I'm sure that many of you have got questions. It's lovely, by the way, that we're doing this live and that there are so, there, there are so many of you tuned in for it live. It's really, really nice. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So I see that Serena's unmuted. Does Serena know she doesn't have a question? Okay. Who? Anybody? Nobody? I can't believe nobody's got a question. Would it make it easier if I said we will unmute you and let you ask your question yourself? So I see this. Jane, you're asking, what is the benefit? What is the benefit of what? Asking a question? Let's unmute Jane okay. and, she, and she can tell me what she means. Ah. ah, can you see that question, Lee? What's the benefit of following the path you follow? So I'm, I'm not, I'm guessing Jane, I don't know if you mean what, what do I feel the benefit is of the path I have followed or it could be what's the benefit for any of us of following a spiritual path. Um, the one you propose to us. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't personally, I don't have a philosophy about how people should spiritually live their lives because one thing that working with people over the years has taught me is it's deeply personal. Um, you know, the beliefs that we align with, the way that we see the world is very varied. Um, but I would say that the benefit for me of opening up to my spiritual path and the benefit I see for other people is the way that the world was presented to me and the way I was invited to be a human was quite limited. I didn't realize that at the time, but my intuition, my feelings and my sense of something bigger was not necessarily invited into my early life. It wasn't something that people were sharing, encouraging, and that just seemed to be the normal mentality. So for me, the benefit of opening up to my spiritual path and the fact that we are of spirit was it was like a piece of the puzzle that had always been missing suddenly came back online. And it wasn't 
easy and it wasn't well organized to start with and it can be a bit messy it can be a rabbit hole it can make you know it can bring up a lot of healing but for me it's the sense of being able to live with kind of what i said to sandy a moment ago somewhere between the earth and the sky the sky wasn't really available to me before i was told to live on the earth and i was told to relegate my experience of a greater universe to the art or the experiences that other people provided so in movies i could feel transcendent or through music or through art what i learned was we can feel transcendent in our own bodies in our own minds in our own feelings um and that with enough spiritual practices openings awakenings that can happen and for somebody that might take 6 years of meditation and for someone else they have a near death experience and all the lights go on so um the path is different for all of us i think but the benefits for me are remembering that i'm a soul as well as a human being and that the life i'm living is a soul having a human experience and not a human being without a soul if that makes sense mm, good answer lee um you know one of the things i would like to uh, this you know what you've said ties into what is happening in the world today and i think many people are finding it hard right now to remember that they are a soul and to maintain that bigger perspective that mm. you know what i call standing back here and mm. looking at it from a higher perspective um so that you know we can see um without some of the personal um angst you know that goes along with actually living it so um would you speak to that just briefly you know yeah. what advice I mean, would you offer people well i think there's a lot that we can say about what you just said but the one aspect i will just focus on is control so i think that one of the things that we're experiencing right now depending on what you're looking into what you're researching we're seeing the control of this planet roaring up in our face and i think yes because of coronavirus is the reason for the you know why we're all being told there is a certain level of control going on right now um that's the reason we're given but anybody who looks behind the curtain or has always looked behind the curtain there's also a certain alarm bell going off for people around well hang on a second what do you mean we all just have to sit in our houses so i think because of the unknowns around that right now and yet this was always destined to happen this is what the z's have said for years prophecies have said for years that this period of our history there was going to be a real 360 on the earth but i think so many of us are in the shock of oh either this is actually happening or people who never looked into the idea that something like this might happen and just as shocked because this is something we haven't experienced in our lifetime i think that very 3d control that is wanting to rear its head and make its presence known is how i read it energetically is it's wobbling but if you just believe what the picture looks like you could get very concerned and you could think hang on a second is this where it's going and the message that i've been getting for years and i i see this echoed from other people as well no this isn't where it's going but it might have a very good attempt at this for a little while and then it's going to be how we 
as people rise to what's going on. So it's very complicated. It's, it's not something like everybody. I don't have all the answers either. I'm, I'm paying attention to what's going on. I'm reading things that I feel aligned with. I'm checking that what feels true to me as I hear different stories and things. But I think that what's going on is twofold in terms of how it's affecting people. On the one hand, it's waking people up to the parts of our system as a planet that perhaps aren't really serving people. And on the other side, I think it's waking people's spirits up because they're removed from the outer world that can be so distracting, so exhausting, keeps us busy. All of a sudden, you're having a lot of people in their house who are actually having really quite extraordinarily positive experiences through this, while others are burning off the fear of a controller of freedom they thought they had, that suddenly they see they don't. And while that burns through us for a while, there's going to be an almighty wave of change that's going to come through this. It's going to take months for that to start to show up, but that's, those are the messages I keep getting. And that's what feels true to me, even though like everybody, I too wish it was different right now and wish that things were, were playing out a little differently to the way it looks right now. But I also, I do understand that this is where we're supposed to be right now for it to play out the way it's supposed to. Sandy, I hope that made sense because... It does. It does. And, you know, I've been doing radio shows now for about nine years. And for those nine years, we've been talking, you know, first of all, we were talking about 2012 and what was going to happen then. Um, And then it just continued. We've all been expecting something. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest, you know, the reason for the shock is certainly for those on a spiritual path is they didn't expect it to look like this exactly um you know the manner in which it has presented itself has has been the shock but the thing that i find very interested in this you know my first go-to when this started happening was homeopathy because Mm. i've used it for years and i know for me how valuable it's been for me and my family and one of i found two particular remedies that were have been used for decades i mean they were used in spanish flu um you know they've been used in india for all kinds of epidemics and they're two remedies interestingly enough that if you were to give them to people for a mental issue an emotional issue they're the remedies you give for anxiety and fear which tells me that fear is the one thing that we should try to avoid. For you sure. know, if you want to stay healthy, I mean, you know, fear immediately puts your, affects your immune system anyway. Um, you know, all those chemicals, but um, you know, I'm not going to speak too much to what's going on right now. We do have a few more questions for you. Um, and I know we're running out of time. First of all, um, Eve Nicole said, thank you for sharing your book four of them would have been hers um and i think she said that um yeah uh, many years ago you know she'd read the, you know many of these books and those four were particularly important for her um holly has said thank you this has been wonderful can you comment on the fear the world's current drama is triggering and our personal fear when it sneaks up on us. And um, Holly actually lives in on Whitby Island, north of mm. Seattle. I don't know whether Holly feels that you've actually covered that in what you just said or not. She can 
post again if there's something else she wants to say. And actually, Holly, what I would say is um, if you go to my YouTube channel or my website, leeharrisenergy.com, you'll find my energy updates. And I've done, I think, the equivalent of about 55 minutes between the last two energy updates. I did one mid-March called Coronavirus, about 25 minutes. And this month's April is 32 minutes long. And I've gone down a list of what might be coming up for you and fear and the specifics around the fears are addressed. So you might find those videos helpful. And while we're talking about your videos, I have to tell you that I was talking to a friend of mine today who does a lot of design work for me. And he said of all the people out there commenting right now, he finds your stuff the, the most grounded and the most calming. Oh, that's really nice. That's lovely. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. So we also have, um, let me just see, um, Sharon is asking me this. Mm. Um, what is prayer like for you as a channel? Do you pray? And if so, to, to what or whom? Well, you know, in a weird way, I would say that prayers, music is prayer for me, actually, listening to it and creating it. Um, but my prayers are actually quite, it's funny, considering I'm such a verbal person, my prayers aren't very verbal. I have kept gratitude lists and journals. And, you know, I think about gratitude uh, lists a lot. But my prayers are quite visual and energetic, if that makes sense. Mm. It's an odd answer, I guess, because a prayer is quite a specific thing, but that's what comes to me. I, I have uh, visual and energetic experiences that feel like directing prayers. So if I notice something is off for me or something's off for someone else, um, it's not very consciously directed, but I'll go into this visual energetic experience that's quite shamanic and that sees a different outcome or sees a feeling shift. So it's, that's what I think of as prayer. Um, I'm very verbal person, obviously, because of my work and because of just my design, I guess. So for me, prayers are not so much verbal things as, as energetic and visual things. That question was actually from Holly, um, who asked a, a previous question. And what you're saying there sounds to me like your prayer is actually an intention. Yeah, it's an intention and an invocation. It's almost yeah. like for me, a prayer can be, uh, you can bring something into manifestation by visualizing it and seeing it. So it's quite shamanic, I guess. That's how I experience it. Um, so rather than saying a prayer for the world right now, I will visualize how I want people to feel and experience this new world as. That's, that's, that's how I will do prayer. Mm. Holly also says the energy updates are marvelous. Thank you. I was oh, hoping great. you'd mention them. Thank you. Um, I have a message here from Damien who says, thank you from Heidelberg, Germany. Um, love Lee's silky voice. It's very calming. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Okay. Anyone else got any questions before we close? I'm going to take that as a no and Sharon can interrupt me if she 
has something. Holly has just said regarding prayer, very helpful answer. Thank mm. you. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real treat to have this kind of conversation with you. I mean, you and I have conversations all the time, but on air, we tend to focus on very you know, specific things. So this one has been quite different. And I've really enjoyed hearing about your Tim Best. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. And thank you for giving me one of the hardest things <laughs> of the last few months. Good. <laughs> it was challenging. It was a good challenge. And um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I just love what, I love that you're doing this because I agree with something you said earlier, which is we have information coming at us in so many different ways now that I think in some ways it's easy to forget books, but I actually think they're more important than ever because of the way that they're distilled and what goes into them. And you, you actually got me inspired to, to order a few new books uh, because of this process, which are sitting by my bedside. So thank you. Good. Uh, we do have a message from Becky McCracken who says, thank you for your updates. I find your way of communicating so grounding, grounded and peaceful. Um, I've been sharing them with friends that might not normally be open to these messages. So keep doing what you're doing, Lee. It's Thank working. You. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if you haven't read Lee's book, Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving and Awakening, um, which distills the wisdom of his group of non-physical entities collectively known as disease into a very concise and very practical guide, which really does address a number of the essential human topics such as sex, love, money, personal power, fear, judgment, and more. And that's what I like about it. You know, it's given us answers that we need here rather than, you know, up there. Um, it also includes a lot of easy exercises and practical tools for breaking free of limitations. And um, you can go to the page, Lee's Bookworm page, on the website. Go to the Bookworm's archive if you haven't seen it already. And you can actually download an excerpt from the book as well as three audio clips that Lee's made um, from his audible version of the book. So you can enjoy some samples there before you buy it. I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining us next week. Um, we're going to move to a new day. It will be the regular day. It will be Wednesday and it will be 10 a.m. Pacific. And next week's guest is going to be meeting partner of David Primal. David's going to join us in May, but next week we're going to be hearing about the books that were influential for meeting. And check out Lee's work at leeharrisenergy.com. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your company. <laughs>